You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And of course, please leave us reviews. We love reviews. We'd prefer you drink along with us in a safe place, no drinking and driving, and then leave us a review. I'd like drunk reviews. That's what would make me happy. Inebriated reviews of the podcast. If you have an author you'd like to have on the podcast, or you are an author that would like to be on the podcast, feel feel free to email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. And our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits. DWA10 is the coupon code. Look, I remembered all of it at the beginning of the episode. Go me! I have a I have a post-it. Okay, so my amazing co-host today is C.R. Rice. Woo-hoo! And our guest for the second time on this podcast is the incomparable Beth Patterson. Woo-hoo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So... Um, from some DWA swag. I am drinking with Tangray gin. I decided to mention the gin this time too. So I found Ooh. this thing called Owen's Craft Mixers, which is mint, cucumber, and lime. So you basically mm. have the soda water with all of that in there. And it's kind of my new favorite thing. So it's amazing. So it's a gin and tonic, but I don't have to put any effort into it. CR, what are That's you drinking me. today? I am still on my pestilence, so I have my green tea and, and vodka, and I actually heated up the green tea a little bit, because, like, I know when you weren't feeling good, like, you were just like, oh, it's going to clear me out, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of sniffly still, so I heated up. It's weird. It definitely changed the profile altogether. Yeah, I, I was talking about doing hot toddies with whiskey and lemon. I mean, it's basically the same. No, it's not the same thing. The same thing. I will say it's it's strangely good. I believe you, but that's bizarre, and please, we don't encourage that. Okay, Beth, what are you drinking, my friend? I brought, since I said I was going to uh, to do what was on the bottle, I brought this in my suitcase uh, several time zones. This is a, a Zinfandel uh, called Freak Show, and I figured since mm. it was just fitting, and there was a time that I just was like, ah, you know, when people said, uh, oh, women buy uh, buy wine for the labels on the uh, for the labels on them. I was like, that's bullshit. And then here then I go. You found a really cool label, I, and then you bought it. Well, I I do like Freak Show actually. I, I like this this particular make. Um, and since one of my newest um, and most bizarre uh, uh, books is an anthology that I edited um, called Unicorns versus Clowns in Hell, um, there is a reason behind that. It's kind okay. of bizarre but uh so i thought i would uh i would kill the freak show today i, I love like it, it and i love the bottle so it's totally fine i buy you know what honestly because i am not i've realized i'm not a fancy wine drinker i will never be that person like my go-to is 19 crimes because it's always the same it's it's good stuff. it Nin- is so I do buy by the bottle like the label i'll look at it and i'm like if it's a kind of wine i like i'll be like let's try this like i i don't i don't know how to tell what the hell i like so. do you do you have the app 
um, that, that that oh yeah that has the talking bottles 19 crimes there's an app and the labels talk to you and tell you what their crimes were this is why really yeah this I'm is gonna another, write that down. many reasons why I don't recommend alcohol and edibles at the same time um I'm just saying Having that app. <laughs> yeah. hashtag that's our another health warning of the day you don't do those things but yeah, like I, I like, you know, some of the best stuff is a is a really cheap Malbec um, that it's surprisingly good yes. Malbec you can find at a at a gas station or something or, um, you know, a nice Spanish uh, Monastrell. Uh, and uh, but this I figured there's a lot of really bizarre stuff that I have to talk about today with what I have written. So, you know, part of this not only was just the wicked looking art uh and my newest fascination of the subgenre circus punk uh but i thought you know everything nearly everything i have to talk about is a freak show so i'm I totally hitting this love it i love it i love it and just seems super fun here's cheers i love so, that sound, you know that that first for those people living court. under a rock that don't know you you are a woman of a many many talents many Aww. because we're going to talk about your writing but you are also a writer of songs mm -hmm. and you're a performer and you're on tour right now that's the cool thing you're coming to us on the tour which we're lucky to have your time for that so let's talk a little bit about everything that is beth patterson well as far as the stuff that i care to repeat um I started, I always had a fascination with writing um, and uh, various and sundry things sort of got me discouraged young as unfortunately is the case for um, uh, for a lot of people who want to entertain some notion and the wrong person will say that's boring and so we shelve it for a while. And I just mentioned this on my, um, my Facebook uh, music slash writing page uh, that it was about 10 years ago almost 10 years ago, I decided, you know what, I really, really, really want to start writing. And so I just kind of picked up those old ambitions, um, even at some point resurrected this god awful book that I wrote when I was in the sixth grade. It was so bad that I was like, there's some of this that's actually kind of so bad that it's awesome. And I resurrected it and I put it together. Deli you know, I turned it into a very deliberate Frankenstein's monster of a of a story, and it ended up being one of my most successful ones. Uh, well, and, and I think that's because it's different and it's not the status quo. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I got to say that would be both painful and wonderful to see, like to like find a random box that has those things that you wrote in sixth grade and pull it out and be like, oh my god, and then take that and turn it into something. That's super fun. I think lately, um, uh, lately, uh, I have been laughing at myself an awful lot as I've, as I've gone back and touched on some things to write about that touch on, uh, old ambitions, um, wishes that I'm really lucky were never granted, uh, and things like that. And it's like, wow, th this is something that I wanted and, uh, just having a great old time laughing at myself. Um, and, uh, I think that's, that's important because then you can fully embrace it. Um, yeah. As long as nobody got hurt in the process, uh, it's, it's something that, that you can absolutely embrace. So I did music as a full-time job. And um, just since uh, I, I started college, I kind of put myself supplementing my income as I was, you know, 
as I was working through my music therapy degree with my uh, main instrument being the oboe, and I was going out and playing at the Irish pubs and just did a various, various and sundry things, um, uh, playing bass with a Latin band um, or revisiting my prog rock ambitions, uh, things like that. So my, my favorite little joke, I'm probably the only one who thinks it's funny, is that if I don't make it as a writer, at least I have my music to fall back on. It is kind I mean, of that's like, different. It is first of all the fact that you started with an oboe. So I just that's what made me stop. I was like, wait a second. Most of the time, people in music therapy they're like violin, piano, guitar, and she's like, no, I'm going oboe. No, actually, that was that was uh, not quite my idea. Uh, I'm the I'm the offspring of two academics, and uh, when the time came to say, what do you want to play when you're in band? Uh, I was thinking the baritone. My dad was a baritone player. Um, I kind of liked the, the bigger instruments, something that had something to say. And my parents were both, oh, no, we can't have Beth playing a non-symphonic instrument. And so uh, I was on the oboe and um, uh, I found out that I could get as good of a scholarship as a mediocre oboe player um, as I could if I had been a top-notch flute player or, or whatever. And that was my first real lesson in musical prostitution. I like that musical prostitution. Let's talk more about musical prostitution. I you need to bring that saying back. Please tell me you have a sticker made that says I'm a musical prostitute. Well, you know, it's it's the first time I actually heard it uh, was a friend of mine who's actually done quite well for himself. Um, he uh, is from Georgia and we're talking Tbilisi, Georgia, not Atlanta, Georgia. You know, he's from Tbilisi, uh, came to the States uh, at a time that uh, it was not in the best interest of one's personal safety to be, to be caught playing jazz in Tbilisi. Uh, wow. So, yeah, so he came to the States, um, did some incredible things, uh, won a Grammy uh, recently for his engineering uh, of, um, uh, gosh, it was uh, John Batiste. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, and he's he's done, like, right before Rupert Neve, who, who was just uh, one of, the people who made the recording industry what it is today because before he came along we did not have recording consoles or anything like that so i saw some of his rupert neve's early earliest works that things that looked like they were made from range top stoves and bureau drawers because they were and so before rupert neve died like there's misha this guy's name is misha katkachishvili uh he was very good bass player misha katkachishvili and um uh, he, Say that uh, five times fast. Yeah, but it's only because I, I saw him. Uh, I saw him around quite a bit. So he was playing bass uh, where I was playing the bazooki, and this was in the '90s. And I was sitting up at the bar with my best friend, and uh, Misha comes over. He goes, "What do you think of this band? No doubt." And uh, I was like, "Well, I like them, sure." You know, he's like, "They're musical prostitution." <laughs> I, I'm probably butchering his accent. Because because I, I tend to parrot whatever accent I heard last, so I might be trying to sound Georgian, and I might end up sounding Central American, um, just because I, I was I was in Guatemala last year, so that might I might have this mishmash of accents. But yes, he said musical prostitution. Oh my god! I, like I, it. Love, I love that. I was like, so, that's me when I play oboe. I am I am musical prostitute. <laughs> I get out a knife. I make read. I'm plotting your demise. <laughs> oh my god 
I'm I'm telling you, I really I feel like you should have a shirt. You should have a set of shirts. You have some of the funniest sayings. You truly do. But you should have a shirt that says I'm a musical prostitute. I think that was brilliant, and I would buy one in a heartbeat. Unfortunately, I'll make you one. Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the way that uh, the music industry goes, um, it would be misinterpreted a lot by a lot of the clientele. Oh. I mean, just showing up practically wearing a sackcloth and here I am almost 50 years old and I still have to be on the defense all the time. Uh, so, you know, just because most places in most venues, you can't get past uh, a lot of people who have this look me at the chick kind of uh, mentality. So, I, so I hate, yeah, it's so ridiculous. It really is in this day and age, but again, Nothing should surprise me in 2022, I should say. Yeah. Because things keep happening that I'm like, there's no way that's going to happen. Then it happens and I'm like, what the actual fuck is going on? You know, Erica, stop saying that. You know, the, the thought that you're you're thinking. This I'm going boring. to because I, I'm going to be like, no, that can happen. That could absolutely happen. Then yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Why I don't leave my house. You always make it fun of me because I never leave my house. But you know, it doesn't happen at my house. The craziness outside. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Okay, so let's talk about when you um your let's because you've been on before. Let's talk about your recent stuff. Let's see. Um, I've got all kinds of stuff. The last time I was here, I had uh, my novel, The Wild Harmonic, and I had been in a um, I think I was featuring an anthology called Band, as in B A N N E D. That was all about horror stories in the music industry, I'm like, oh, I got this. <laughs> the thing is, I had to put a paranormal spin on it. The paranormal spin was less horrifying than some of the real life stuff that I've had to deal with uh, on gigs. But it was it was good therapy to to get out like all these things that I wish really happened to, to people on gigs. Uh, but yeah. anyway, uh, the two most recent things that I have, I have all, all kinds of things, the ones that I sent you photos of, yeah. Um, I got a call uh, from a couple of friends of mine, Dave Green and uh, Tim Mendes, um, that one uh, is based in Ireland, one is based in the UK, and uh, they had this thing for, um, it was a Lovecraft, uh, the, the sort of Lovecraft world, but are you guys familiar with the, um, the uh, British uh, comedy movie series called The, the Carry On Films? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it's. I'm gonna put it on my list though. Not. Yeah, I I was not totally familiar with it uh, until I mean I was somewhat aware of it, but not I had not been immersed in it until they said, "What we want is Lovecraft's world in the style of the Carry On films." Uh, so mm -hmm. you know there has to be all the sexual innuendo. Um, they basically said, you know, keep it fun because I agree that a lot of the best humor is not what's being said; it's what's not being said. Uh, and that's not just in, in writing, but, you know, just things that are implied, like some of those Chuck Jones uh, cartoons, you see where Yosemite Sam is about is, you know, he's a, a knight and Bugs Bunny's in the castle and he's trying to vault himself over the ramparts. And instead of seeing him get splattered, what you see is Bugs Bunny kind of leaning out, you know, from, from the behind, you can see him kind of leaning, looking over the edge and you see one brick come in and, What's funnier is what's implied and not what's actually seen. 
and I think that works really well uh, with uh, with the written word and humor. And so when they said, you know, don't don't say fuck when you can say rumpy pumpy. So I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so uh, so we, we were trying to get permission from the Carry On films to call it Carry On Cthulhu. Um, and I don't think they heard one way or the other whether or not they could they could say this. So uh, the, the backup title was the Nookie Nomicon. I think that is a brilliant That's title. That's awesome. Better than the Carry On. I'm just sorry. Nookie Nomicon is a brilliant I, title. I was not complaining. You know, I know that that's what what the editors really had their hearts set on. So I was hoping for their sake, but I um, I certainly had no uh, no complaints. Uh, so I had a lot of fun writing this because um, I just uh, how do I put this? A, a former bandmate of mine who had twin sons said, "Beth, you have the sense of humor of an eleven year old boy," and she did not mean it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment anyway. I just took around and took it around. I just turned around and owned it. I said, hey, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I constantly tell people that I have am like a 14-year-old boy most of the time. My humor is very crass. I talk like a sailor all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think sex jokes are hysterical. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's I have when I play music, I have this other sort of side hustle. Um, and for a while I was keeping these two personalities separate and distinct, um, part social experiment and part because I wanted my serious music to be kept seriously. And then my, um, you know, my humor, like I wanted a platform, uh, for it. So I called that, um, this alternate persona, Bad Beth and Beyond. And all I've had all of my adult life is long blonde hair. So I put on a short black wig and one day I went out, um, uh, just to, to go see some friends play and I had some shades and I had the short black wig on nobody recognized me I would look right at my friends you know and if they said anything to me I was like I, I'm from France I uh, I very much uh, I love this uh, jazz I, I uh, first time in Nouvelle uh, Orléans and people were like oh welcome to New Orleans baby I was like you asshole you're never that nice to me <laughs> so that's amazing so it was fun to kind of do it through the bad Beth and beyond, you know, so like if I want to break the ice, I usually start out with a love song called show me on the doll. That's when I'm in the bad Beth and beyond mode. <laughs> so, uh, so the, uh, title of, of my uh, chapter in the Nookie Nomicon is called uh, lady Chatterley's blowhole. Um, <laughs> okay. You, All right. I like you, it. You need a title that gets people's attention. I, I, I percent agree my book titles are completely based on getting people's attention yeah so, so do you do a lot of anthologies do you only do anthologies no um i did one novel and i was working on a sequel and uh a couple of things happened that kind of derailed my enthusiasm um i started working with somebody who said would you object to uh doing some rewrites if it will be a stronger book and I, I was not opposed to putting in the work if it the end result was going to be a better book however it was very clear from the get-go that it was like oh this is not my book anymore and it really felt it felt violated you know and, and long story short this never came to pass um several things that were initially unfortunate happened that uh you know in the end the good news is all the rights reverted back to me 
and I did not have to, to do this because I was not liking this, but it got for a while. I just didn't want to, didn't want to write anything. And, um, so I, I got back into it with anthologies and now I've got two novels that are half finished. And I, I basically said, uh, I'm not going to do any more, um, anthologies anymore. I'm going to really focus on these books now. And now I have to, you know, keep that promise to myself. Um, so the, I happen to have, just cause I was posing with a bunch of books on top of me last night, pretending to be drunk. Uh, this <laughs> You know, I, I actually, that wasn't far off because I just played at a cidery up the street, a place called Hawk Knob Cidery. Um, bear with me, I have raging ADHD, so my train of thought has no caboose. But um, they were doing love they it. a live stream uh, from, the, uh, from there from a, with a previous, uh, uh, previous musician, and it was being live streamed through Twitch. Twitch automatically censors something, so they, it automatically censored Knob, However, it wasn't K asterisk, you know, with four asterisks. It was just four asterisks. So people were like, Hawk, what? You know, so <laughs> people are trying to figure out what four letter word was being censored. I love that. So I came, came back from Hawk Knob and I just happened to have all these books with me that I was going to talk about. And this was just, this was my first and only existing novel before I really knew anything about how to write a novel. And at the time, looking back on it, I realized I was writing it like a lyricist. I had only been writing for a couple of years. And uh, I realized now, I was like, oh, man, would you stop with the imagery and just cut to the chase? But, uh, but it's, you know, it is from a musical point of view. So it's got a do-it-yourself playlist in the back. Uh, and I am gonna, um, uh, going to get back to its sequel, which largely takes place in Australia. Uh, I'm, it's going to be called the Earth's Chorus. Uh, that's the working title anyway. Um, so this is my one existing full-length novel. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, so so the the uh, anthologies were fun. You know, it's like ooh shiny. You know, and I'd, I'd you know submit to this. She has the weirdest internet. She's probably going to be back in just a second. She I, moved to the mountains. And so like, she'll be perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden she'll just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wish I could do that in real life. Like a lot. Right? Yeah. Like have that magical ability. And it's like, oh no. Gone. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, on a gig, I was recently cornered by somebody that it, jumping off, I could have jumped off the stage and just run except that he was blocking my way with his wheelchair and there was nothing that i could uh, do to have a proper escape route that wasn't going to look like a hate crime and, uh, <laughs> i was just thinking that i'm like okay look you could flip the chair nope nope can't do that yeah it's like, oh was, you could just roll him backwards nope nope can't do no, that no you can't do that so i'm like okay now what do i do as he's going into every detail about every single patch that he had on his hat and the meaning behind them. And I just desperately want to, uh, uh, you know, thinking, I wonder if I start just a, a small fire, just a little one, you know. With the... What I tend to do with like people corner me is like, I always have this double, the, it's an app on the phone, it's called Double Click. And so like, if you go and you can set it, so like you hit your power button like two or three times and it automatically makes your phone ring. 
And I'm like, yeah. oh no, I have to take this. I am so sorry. I'll be right back. And then I like sidestep and I just keep going. I'll fake a conversation to like get out of eyesight. That's that's brilliant. I did try to fake uh, a phone call. Um, I was trying to get off the stage and somebody hugged me before I, I was ready. I had one foot oh, that was still no. balanced. So I my torso hit the wedge monitor, my ankle twisted. And then everybody like got over me and started talking above my head as if I hadn't oh, just no. fallen. I'm like, guys, guys. And so I started trying to back up. And so I said, oh, I have to take this call. And as soon as I said, I have to take this call, they all zoomed in on me and started talking at me while I was pretending to take a call. All of a sudden, everybody. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. No, see, that would make me so claustrophobic. <laughs> it's, well, I'm not... it's, it's why I start to get bitey. And it's also why I, I drink. And uh, basically, there's one person uh, that I'm uh, that who might be at an upcoming event, and I am just going to tell some of the uh, staff people, okay, if this person gets within six feet of me, um, throw a, a net, just throw a yes. you know, a weighted net, um, just you know, nothing, nothing too harsh, just a, a little net ought to do it, but just. A shock one, just a small little shock one, not like an electrocuting one, but like, you know, those little zap zap ones, no, I would just, do that. Just something with little lead weights on it. You don't necessarily have mm. to catch alligators or crabs in a, you know, just something to slow down the process enough time for me to, to beat a hasty retreat. You're braver than I am. I couldn't imagine that. That would be a lot. So yeah. did you like writing anthologies versus the books? Do you find it to be a different writing method? Like, um, I mean, you write so much, you do your lyrics, you do anthologies and you do your own novel. There has to be a huge diversity between all of that. There is, and I'm learning exactly how much diversity there is because with lyrics, lyrics don't have to make sense. You can be pretty abstract. I mean, look at some of your favorite songs or anybody out there who's, who's watching this podcast. Um, if you go back and look at, you know, these don't have to have a plot. They are snapshots of a certain emotion. Uh, they don't even necessarily have to make sense. I mean, like one of my favorite, favorite bands is Yes. I know, and those are like <laughs> tone poems, you know, as far as, as far as some of John Anderson's lyrics uh, go. And um, so I was still coming out of that and realizing, you know, that, that I read a lot of books, but just because I read a lot of books doesn't mean that I have necessarily interned, internalized uh, the formula, you know, for, for things, right. you know, for character development and stuff like that. So um, my first gasp at the Wild Harmonic was just an entropic mess. It, and uh, my friends, um, Jody Lynn Nye and Bill Fawcett uh, helped me rein it in into something <laughs> that had some sort of a structure. And when it was over and done, and I, I was kind of telling Jody, yeah, I just didn't know what I was doing. I was flying by the seat of my pants. It was just about to go off into a parallel universe if it hadn't been for you guys and, and this and that. And it's still, it, it's still kind of entropic. And, and Jody very kindly said, it's jazz. <laughs> I'm like, it is jazz. And since I love jazz and my husband is a jazz piano player, you know, I, I took it very much in the spirit that it was often, that, that it was offered. That's pretty cool. And it's really, that, it's really neat way to look at it. Yeah, but but there's a whole lot. Of course, it's not just the fact that there's a higher word count, because there's some people who find uh, a, a limit of word counts uh, that that's a hindrance when they're writing short stories because they have so much to say. 
So it's hard sometimes um, to chop 2,000 words, which sometimes will make it a, a almost always if, if somebody says, can you cut it by 2,000 words? And it's like, oh, guess what? This is now a tighter story. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, the word count notwithstanding, it's more of a commitment, of course. There has to be more, more stuff going on. Um, there has to be uh, more failures and, and attempts and betrayals and, and things like that. Um, and short stories, you know, you have to get a lot in in a, in a shorter amount of time. So there's a different set. Each has its own set of, um, of hindrances. And sure. this is coming from somebody who wrote one book. <laughs> but that's that's Every story that's I disappeared. I'm having a delightful time. I'm getting my computer replaced. The network card keeps flipping out and being like, there's no internet. And I'm like, but there really is. So I had to go grab a laptop and load it up. And anyway, okay. Yes. Um are, I think we're ready for a break, right? We're break time. Okay, yes. we'll be right back with drinking with authors. Hey everyone, this is Carrie from the Metal Geeks Podcast. Thanks for geeking out with us for the past 10 years. Yes, I said that 10 years that we've been doing this, talking about video games and metal and TV and movies and comic books and scene parks and all that other cool stuff. Check us out on our website at metalgeeks.net and on all the socials at Metal Geeks. We are proud members of the ESO Network. Keep it geeky and keep it metal. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Let's do, let's have more drinks. I like more I drinks. I was gonna I was I was gonna surreptitiously pour myself another while uh, things weren't weren't uh, weren't going. And part you of you can pour another I, anyway. People are drinking along with you, so well, it's I, good. I am also the clumsiest person I know. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that my last words are going to be whoa whoa. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You have a stem on your wine glass. I'm not allowed to have stemmed wine glasses in the house. Mm -hmm. I have a few mainly plastic tumblers i brought this up when i've drunk wine like i pour it in and it looks all crystalline it's plastic and so my friends just bought me as a housewarming present apparently they were hunting down pottery barn because they had these this stemware that has a skeletal hand on the glass mm -hmm. oh i have some of those yeah and they found me the ones that 
don't have stems because there's ones that have like the arm and like uh -huh. thing, but they don't know and i was like wow these are amazing and i love them i love them thank you tommy and robert um but they're going to be for very special occasions because otherwise i won't have them very long well, well, I have the plastic versions because it's Halloween now. You can find them everywhere. Like I have some that looks like a metal hand and it's a plastic glass because you know me, I'm not allowed to have anything but my metal. So like I got those, but I will say you can drop the hell out of those. And those things are still kicking. Wow. See, I, because I'm a guest in someone else's house, I went to whatever, where the, the cabinet was that had all the glasses. I'm like, what do they have the most of? You know what what looks the what looks the the most expendable in case i should have a moment where somebody screams mazel tov you know it's it, yeah. it, it, i it's, love it's, everything about that okay yeah, and i'm i'm not holding this by the stem because i don't trust myself yeah ditto ditto don't trust myself either so let's talk a little bit about these two books you have up and coming did we already talk about that and i missed it well, we talked about uh, the Nookie Nomicon, and then I talked to CR Oh, let's about... share this book, and then I want to talk about the two novels you're working on. Unicorns versus Clowns in Hell. I love them. Yeah. It's just that I mean... it's a very, it came uh, several years ago. Um, I got pretty darn sick, and this was not, you know, this was pre-pandemic. It was just a common cold, I think, but it was a pretty nasty common cold. And I was whacked out on cold medicine. I was trying to be productive anyway. I was lying in bed just, and um, I had like a little writing journal uh, by my side just whenever I get random things. And I don't know, I was just trying to scribble. I think I had a fever. And in the morning, I noticed that I had written um, Unicorns versus Clowns in Hell. And it, for some reason, this is really, this struck me as really funny. And um, uh, I even had had sort of a, a a plot going on because apparently, you know, so many people are scared of clowns, but apparently I had these things that the, the clowns are in hell because like nobody likes them because everybody's scared of them and you know, and, and, and the unicorns are a bunch of assholes. And uh, I think I'd named the clowns. Uh, they all had clown names that were based on uh, Aussie slang names like Yabo, you know, and, and uh, things like that, that mean nothing here in the States, but are, but are, you know, put downs. And um, uh, so I, I shelved that for a while. I was like, haha, you know, I think I even mentioned it to, uh, to, to Bill, my friend Bill Fawcett. And usually when I hit on something that's either is actually successful, or at least depending on your, your idea of successful, or wildly uh, a terrible idea, Bill's response is, okay. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to entirely you know, outrule this one just in case. And then last year I was talking to some friends who are actually not too far from my current location there in, in uh, West Virginia in Charleston. And um, uh, I told him about my fever dream about, you know, unicorns versus clowns in hell. And uh, it was right around, it was almost April Fool's Day. And I said, hey, you want to stage an April Fool's joke? And, you know, we'll get you guys in on it. And we'll say this is an open call anthology on April 1st and everybody will see, uh, will, will obviously see when they, you know, the requirements, um, deadline is April 2nd, uh, minimum word count, 70,000 words, author compensation, um, Keith Richards, belly button lint, uh, think, you know, and thinking that surely everybody's going to know, uh, that this is an April fool's joke. And we're like, no, and don't call me Shirley. So, um, 
so many people were, were genuinely disappointed that that was this wasn't really a thing including my brother who said if you make this a thing i will write the shit out of this so they said okay if you really want to make it a thing if you edit it uh we'll um uh you know we'll, we'll make it a thing and so not only did we make it a thing but now they have started an entire versus series uh, my friend tim mindy's actually got his done before mine uh, his is uh, Cthulhu versus the Musketeers in the court of King Louis. Uh, then I've got this. Uh, the next one out is like Ghosts versus the Loch Ness Monster in Atlantis. I think there's going to be Vampires versus Minotaurs on Broadway. Um, this Octopods is brilliant. Mermaids and that Spring. is so random and exciting at the same time. Like you're like, those don't match, but you kind of want to know what they're going to do. It's, it's got the delightful randomness of Chuck Tingle. You know? Yes, yes, it does. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as he gets pounded in the butt by it. Yes. In fact, as my Bad Beth and Beyond uh, uh, persona, I released a single uh, only a couple of weeks ago uh, that was supposed to be like this kind of uh, funny little airhead pop song, but it's called I Want to Pound Chuck Tingle. So that's out there right now. <laughs> this is why you're All so right. much fun. This yeah. is literally why you're so much fun to have on the show. Yeah, I would like to be in your brain when you're like, I'm going to write a song called I'm going to pound Chuck Tingle. It's <laughs> the trouble is, you know, a lot of it is to keep a lot of toxic mental chatter uh, at bay. Uh, there were times in my life that were less than ideal. And uh, as a direct result, I have to quiet my mind a lot. And uh, so I have to go to the ridiculous so that the uh, so that the less than lovely thoughts so that there's no room for them but you know sometimes i'll just have a very random thought and i'm like okay i don't know if this is going to work or not but i crack myself up so let's go with this um and uh so yeah so this was the end result um and uh i wasn't sure about the word count uh so i i threw in one of mine as well called up in the way and it's got a little hidden reference to anybody who knows some of the uh some of the nastier uh, darker sides of the publishing industry especially in sci-fi and fantasy it's got some hidden easter eggs in there um very fun that is awesome yeah that is amazing okay but you are writing two novels now so let's yes. talk about that i've got um one that was um that's a sequel uh to uh, to the Wild Harmonic, uh, the premise for the Wild Harmonic. It started with just the, the concept of, okay, you're supposed to write what you know. And at the time that I decided I want to be a writer, I didn't know very much outside of, uh, of music. Like I, a couple of things, okay, I know enough French to get around and I used to ride horses and I can Cajun dance and that's it. And uh, so um, I thought, okay, we'll start from the perspective of something that I'm already familiar with, which is what it is to be a working musician. Uh, and we're not talking to the people who have the tour bus roll up and have the roadies take care of everything. We're talking about the people who have to haul their gear six blocks, you know, worry about their cars not getting towed, worried about people not spilling drinks on them, you know, and, and uh, uh, backstabbing bandmates, out of control audience members, you know, we're talking the real, the real stuff, you know, and, and most people who are successful in this industry have had to pay their dues that way and some of the some of the stories were just are inflammatory some are tragic some are hilarious um and 
So I wanted to write it from that point of view and hopefully get a few readers thinking, oh, maybe this is how we should not treat live musicians. Uh, you know, Wait, are people mean to musicians? Oh yeah. What? Oh yeah. People are like mean when you have live musicians go out? Oh, oh, sweetheart. Oh, oh sweetheart, <laughs> yes. They're fucking not, terrible. Why would you, there's- I don't get why people would be so mean. The, well, it's, it's not that they think they're mean, there's a phenomenon that I, it's, there's a thing that I, I coined, and if people are, want to use this, along with musical prostitution, of course, I, if they, there's I want a thing that to that happen. I, I'm going to get that shirt for you, Beth. Okay. Just, you know, I'm going to okay. wear it in solidarity. I will wear it for my friend, Misha. I'll say Misha. People <laughs> know why I, he, he, his, his, one of his, his biggest regrets with me is that he taught me one word in Georgian, which means balls, and he won't teach me any more Georgian. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, there's a phenomenon that I call sports mascot syndrome. And it goes back, you know, that you hear these stories about these people who, whether it's for high school, all the way through college or pro sports, you know, they're supposed to be embodying the other team and people just lose their heads. They forget that there's a person in there. And I've read horror stories about people who get the crap kicked out of them because these um, overzealous fans, all they see is a big stuffed animal getting knocked around. They don't realize that this person's got a broken nose, broken ribs. Um, think people who have been put in, into serious danger and been injured because they forget there's a person in there. And I think especially now with movies and TV, even before the internet, uh, people forget that, oh yeah, that's a person on the other side of that microphone and you can cause serious injury. And over the years of uh, playing music, um, like I was setting up one time, I, I mentioned this in my in my first novel. I'm setting up and there's this, this person I've never seen in my life. I'm like, can I help you? And he throws his arms around me and he hoists me into the air. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? He was like, we're friends on Facebook. I'm like, okay, I don't I don't know you, you know. That's so, why everybody needs a Corey. <laughs> you know, I've had um, people take swings at me when I'm on stage. I've had people jump up and try to grab the microphone away from me. I've had people try to pull my instrument out of my hands. I've been groped. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've been swung at, like I said, I've, I've, I've come home more on more than one occasion with bruises. And the most disturbing thing is that on, they're on the wrong part of my hand, which means that I lose my head and don't, and forget how to actually throw a proper punch, which musicians should not have to learn, but here we are. Um, even in nicer scenarios, like I opened up for a Gaelic storm, uh, one year on, on St. Patrick's day, and it was a sit down. Uh, amphitheater gig and so I got tickets that you know after I did my opening show I could just sit in the audience and enjoy the main act and I had to get backstage because I sat down and this guy next to me just tried to pull me onto his lap um, I have permanent loss of the top and bottom end of my vocal range uh, because on one occasion this drunk woman had received some sad, it was very sad news. And I was, I was sorry for her. I'd seen around on gigs, but she threw herself onto me into this choking tackle hold and I pulled her off of me. And she, then she threw herself on me again, hit me so hard in the windpipe um, that I lost everything, but about five notes of my voice. And I had to just call the gig. Um, but I was choking and I was waving for help because I thought if I defend myself the way I normally would, um, I could, I could face serious legal, repercussions for elderly abuse and this woman is choking me so I, I got her off me and people are standing around like not knowing what to do so about a week later I recovered everything but the top end and the and the bottom end of 
my voice and and um so there are certain notes i can't hit uh, hit anymore i mean so i mean yes there i had somebody tried to force me at gunpoint to leave the stage and join him for a drink uh which let me tell you that's a great way to pick up a chick so yeah oh yeah i'm sure that relationship lasted all of you know yeah, it's about as effective as that pickup line does this smell like chloroform to you uh so <laughs> um so yeah i mean it's it's made me a little bitey and i i want to be gracious to the people who have been supporting me for years and there are people who i have come uh to think of as friends and it's happened over over years and i wish and they're, they're lovely people and i wish it hadn't taken that long um because for to to really warm up to to the truly good people that's crazy i would have never thought something like that mm-hmm. see I mean, this is another reason that defends me staying home yeah you know i'm a fan of it that's um, crazy i i did not miss going out i mean during the during lockdown my husband and i are both introverts i mean he is a true introvert he will go into his office and, and write things and I'll, I'll jokingly say, this is a day that I put you on a diet of pizza, pancakes, and flounder, which is basically anything I can slide under the door to remind him to eat. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think of, uh, of Neil Peart, uh, my favorite band is Rush, you know, and his, his lyric, I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. And when I'm driving, I listen to a lot of his audiobooks, which gets me in the travel mode, because a lot of it is travel, travel logs. And then it's helped me understand more and more why he really doesn't, you know, never liked the meet and greets and why they make him uncomfortable and why adulation made him uncomfortable. Um, it's like all these years later, I'm like, oh man, I get it. I totally get it. No, you know, you have those experiences and it's interesting because I think different, um, creatives, you still can, you have, you know, we're not as writers, we're not necessarily as out front as you are, but as writers, you can have really creepy things happen to you too. You know what I mean? And you do conventions and you know, it's just, it's weird. So the moment you put yourself as a celebrity of any kind, like a person out in public, right? Mm -hmm. I'm using quotations. I think it definitely puts you in a position where anything can happen. And then as a musician, you're around a lot of people who are drinking generally for gigs right that's true adding alcohol into the equation which alcohol you know we're a drinking show i am we're all cheers drinking but there's a time and a place and there's a line where you pass that line and you start just being an a-hole and it's not fair to the people who are there giving you art did you just say a-hole I know she like bleeped herself. I know. I don't know why I was censored there. I don't know why I censored myself. Yeah, I, I'm like, it's okay. We're we're gonna get through this. We're we're gonna. You know, <laughs> we we talk on the red. No. We'll, um, we'll take a road trip and we can we can we can uh let's take a road trip sometime and and we can judge each other's uh, language behind the wheel. Oh my god. Oh I no, I'm bad. I love to go on a road trip with you. I love road trips. Yeah, and my favorite thing. Seriously. Yeah. I am so road ragey. Like I get road rage at the, pr- even if I'm not driving. Yeah. Like, like our road trips are very snappy. <laughs> I will not, t- I won't tailgate. I won't do anything. Um, if I find myself feeling, you know, the equivalent of stompy, you know, I take a, a deep breath, but man, the things I say, 
Uh, lately, I've been touring with a friend of mine named Sean Healy, who's this wonderful um, Scottish and Irish fiddle player. And he just thinks it's it's funny when I'm like, stay in your lane, SpongeBob, fuck pants. You know, and he just laughs. laughs. Uh, and, oh, uh, my God. It would be so much fun traveling yeah. the world with Erica and Beth. That would be ridiculous. That would be exciting. We'd record ourselves on the road. Yeah. That would be That's so like a TV fun. show that people would wait like all week for. They're like, all right, it's Thursday night. Let's, mm -hmm. let's go watch the, the Beth yeah. and Erica show. Yeah. Like, that would be exciting. Yeah. Uh, you pick one unlucky person to take a two or three day road trip with you. And then yeah. like, yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, or, or in some parts of the, you know, some demographics would be Erica. But, you know, it's, but it, this all actually does tie into, to the, uh, sequel because I, it started making me think more and more about trolling. Um, because I have that, I mean, when I first got my music page up, the very first um, post that visitor post on my, on my music page of uh, Facebook, somebody I didn't even know who wrote totally trashy, you suck. And that was my very first, uh, you know, so I did what I was thinking of what Chris Rock said in, in one of his movies that um, it, it wasn't one of his stand up things, but he was I think it was, it was the movie I forget what it's called, but he's running for president. Uh, and he said that uh, in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, when Elmer Fudd and, and Bugs Bunny have a standoff, nothing makes Elmer Fudd more pissed off when Bugs Bunny just kisses him. And uh, so I was like, oh, why, thank you. You know, I didn't know what else to do. And, uh, but I started thinking more and more, you know, continuing about how not to treat musicians um, and started thinking about trolling and, and uh, thinking, okay, what if these people actually become trolls, but not in the way that we, we imagine trolls as being this somewhat disfigured, you know, uh, unseemly humanoids that live under a bridge or whatever. Instead of the features being grotesque, that the features start to get more neutral and blank and people start becoming face blind to them. Uh, because the more, effort you put, the more effort you put into bringing somebody else down, the more of yourself you lose. There I love this so idea. Much. I mean, I see it all the time on social media. It's like all these people have the energy to do is to go after somebody and put negative comments about something. And even if it's a sentiment that I inherently agree with, if it's done the wrong way, it makes me uncomfortable. Even if I agree with the with fundamentally what at stake, if every single thing is just going out against something, I don't think that kind of extremism, even if I agree with the fundamentals, is going to solve anything. And so my character struggles with this because she starts getting attacked. But, you know, when she's asked to describe describe them, she she can't. She's like, I, I don't remember what they look like. Um, you know, that was something I sort of got the idea from somebody who had shown up on, on one of my gigs, um, whom I had considered a friend until things got weird, but was putting on, I think was trying to appear seductive, but it just looked like this, you know, it was just this weird blank neutral face and it just made me want to crawl out of my own skin. But it got me thinking, okay, that's not creepy. A menacing face, like to things like children, um, uh, distorted faces are distressing when, when small children are trying to learn things about facial expressions. But there's something as adults that I wonder if, if the opposite thing happens when it, with a loss of identity, 
you know, blank masks. There's something about that that's equally distressing. So I started thinking that trolling can can be taken almost literally because you lose yourself in the process. And so my character has to deal with that and some of the things like what makes people like that. And uh, and it ties into uh, so many other things that I think are fundamental to what we think of as monsters, be they vampires, werewolves, or zombies. What do they all have in common? Is that they are infected, the other person is infected by a bite. And our struggle, uh, these stories are about parallel what we have to do when we grow up and have to overcome trauma is we have to make sure not to turn into the beast that bit us. We cannot become that monster that bit us. And I've seen that happen to people who did nurture versus nature. And then I've seen people who went through horrors that even if they were my stories for the telling, I wouldn't tell them because you might be sorry if you knew. Um, but these people have become the most loving, giving people who are constantly fighting the good fight. And, uh, you know, it just makes me wonder why do some people just become so angry and lash out at everyone and then other people decide I'm going to break the cycle. And I, I wish I knew the answers, even though I got my degree in music therapy, I'm so out of touch, um, especially because the doctrine of therapy and everything that we know about overall healing keeps changing. It keeps evolving. Um, and, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of psychology, uh, behind, uh, any kind of, uh, story that involves monsters. I love that. I think that's brilliant. What is the other book about? Uh, the other is something that's kind of a standalone. And I got the idea from a friend of mine who is a seventh generation circus performer. He lives in Guatemala. His family is all from, from Europe. Uh, but his, his family worked like his, his grandfather, uh, and great uncle. Uh, he told me all these stories about his grandfather and great uncle working, you know, the circus, you know, in this traveling circus through Europe. And he got me turned on to a writer named uh, Cherie Lamar, if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, we're friends on Facebook, but I haven't actually spoken with her, um, who had sort of invented the subgenre called circus punk. And uh, uh, he had turned me on to a book that she wrote that's part memoirs, part stories. And it's kind of like how much of this is fiction, and how much of it isn't. Um, and uh, I got to stay with his family in Guatemala uh, for about a week. And the more I got exposed to circus life, the less I'm sure where the line is between fiction and, and, uh, and reality. Uh, but I started again, because I have to have some roots in music because, you know, what am I going to do, you know, write about insurance sales, you know, I, I have to write what I know. So I started thinking about a future in which live music is almost completely dead. Uh, it's dystopian and it's not because some mean old dictator said, we will have no more fun. Um, it's because um, all the musicians from all this abuse that uh, everybody just basically said, fuck a bunch of this, we're not doing this anymore. And all it takes is one generation to skip, uh, one generation no longer to teach the next generation how to play music, the fundamentals, how to count, what the notes are, and most importantly, how to play together, how to watch for cues, starting and stopping together, everything that we take for granted. Um, and so this this uh, heroine who wants to play music and the only place where the performing arts are still kept alive is in the circus. 
and we're going back to the 19th century, uh, you know, an early 20th century where, you know, in big farming towns and things like that, that the basic uh, ways that you could, you could get entertainment was this sort of rolling zoo that had everything from dance and acrobats and animals and music. And that's the only place, once again, where the arts are still being preserved. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a dystopian circus punk is, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, and I love it. I love new genres. This sounds I'm, like a super exciting yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. I just got introduced to the genres of, uh, of the subgenres of hope punk and solar punk, because at a time that we're thinking of dystopia, you know, we also need to very much be aware of, uh, how much better the world can be if we pull together, you know, cause I think that's really important too, because if we're going to put that possibility of, okay, if we don't get our shit together, this is going to be our plight. We also need to balance it out with, Hey, if we get our shit together, this could be something really cool. That's, that's very true. That's very so, true. I love oh. your messaging too. And in exciting news. So we put out an anthology called, teen angst and we did our first one last year and we were really excited and it was submissions from people about what they were going through in their teenage years and you submitted this year which is coming out which is super exciting what you're is actually, coming out? yes you're actually the first story in it um Yay. yes so i'm super excited and your message in that i want people to pick it up because i think your message in that is very amazing and that's the reason i put it at the beginning of the book, because I think, you know, it was interesting because this year we had a lot of submissions from actual teenagers, mm -hmm. right? That were going through stuff, which surprised me. It surprised me a lot, but it's, it's, you know, as we get older, we sometimes forget what that's like going mm -hmm. through those times in our lives as a teenager mm -hmm. and how difficult it was navigating becoming an adult, you know, and how that works and changes in friends and you know, so I'm super excited that you're a part of that anthology too. That it's, oh, thank you. It's you know, truly. I, just, I wish I could find some of the stuff that I preserved, you know, because I kept everything. I think it's important to save everything because you never know when you're going to, um, when you're going to be able to borrow things, even if it's stuff that in hindsight, you laugh at yourself, but it gives you like a, a little prompt. It gives you a little springboard. I never did find the lyrics that I wrote when I was 15, that I had the word peckerhead. Uh, I, oh, well, as soon as you come across those, we're doing a vault three. We're going to need those for vault three. Okay. Peckerhead. I love Because I had, I had a couple of, of things. I had one that I was thinking of, uh, I had written some, some, um, some lyrics down and it was around the time that, that money for nothing was, was a big hit. I'm like, oh, they're mentioning MTV. That's, you know, so. I was going to mention my favorite radio, local favorite radio stations call letters because, you know, oh, that's going to make me famous. This little Lafayette, uh, you know, hit radio <laughs> in the 80s. Because in my mind, uh, that was all one and the same. That local notoriety was exactly the same as global notoriety. It, and I kind of almost wish I'd kept that mentality. I, I think it would have been a lot happier in some you know, ways it's definitely interesting to watch especially for um children um as as we grow up the world get bigger mm -hmm. i 
think people don't realize that, but the world starts to get bigger and bigger as you grow up, but you're not paying attention that it gets bigger and bigger. It's just happening. Well, there's a parallel, you know, because um, I heard somewhere that, that we don't think in abstract. We don't, we can't truly see around the corner until we're about 11 or 12. I mean, I had sort of plans when I was little, but I, I wasn't thinking everything through. Like I had this plan because like, ooh, I thought diamonds were pretty. I, I didn't have uh, any aspirations of getting rich, but it just, everything that I saw in fairy tales, you get this shiny and like, where, where do you find diamonds? South Africa. Oh, okay, I'm gonna go to South Africa and I'm gonna end up there and I'm gonna dig in the dirt and I'm gonna find a shiny, not knowing anything about how diamonds are cut, certainly not knowing anything about uh, how dangerous, how many people died in the diamond industry. Um, you know, I don't know that when I'm three and four years old, but I had a plan. I was going to, I had a packet of carrot seeds and I planted them and I was going to grow these carrots and then I was going to sell the carrots at, the, at a farmer's market. And then I was going to get some mode of transportation, like a scooter. And I was going to get like a little vinyl boat and I was going to go as far as I could until I got to the coast and then get in the boat and somehow with no natural disasters, I was going to end up in South Africa. Easy. Of course, of course you were. That was going to happen. Easy. So you can't, you know, I had a plan, but it, you know, but you can't think really, you can't really see around the corner until you're about 11 or 12. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of things that would be problematic about that. Yes. No, it's, it's true. It's interesting. I think they say, as we like dig it off topic they say your analytical brain is not fully developed until you're around 25. that would explain so much it it does and i always tell this like i i keep joking i'm going to write this book but i seriously it's on my to-do list is how to raise your kid to not be an asshole and part of it is remembering things like how a five-year-old thinks like i see parents get mad at kids and i'm like they're not thinking cause all the way effect they're thinking this far they go out yeah. in this far i'm gonna get chocolate milk now they don't realize that this and the glass and the you know how chocolate milk maybe comes into being in your house maybe you have to have hershey syrup maybe use next quick who the hell knows right but they're gonna get chocolate milk and then you have a shift show and you're like why did you mess up the kitchen well they were making chocolate milk right they yeah. didn't get to what it takes to make chocolate milk I say this is the analogy, like the kids that tie a sheet around there thing and go jump off roofs and stuff like that. People are like, why did you do that? And I'm like, because the idea of gravity did not even occur to them. They were going to yeah. fly. I think it comes from, but it also comes from the fact that everybody's always like, oh, it's a kid. You don't have to explain everything. Like when, with, when we had our, like, we always explained everything to him. I was like, look, you don't climb on top of the bookcase because like you see, you fall and it hurts. So we don't do that. Or like, you know, when you do these things, like people treat kids like they don't know anything. So instead of teaching them, mm -hmm. they just leave them there. And then they're like, yeah. why don't you know this? It's like, well, if you would have yeah. just told them, it's, it's the very end. strange, but I agree. There is, I feel like once I hit that 25, it was like a whole fucking world open. I'm like, holy shit, I was an idiot last week. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I think of some of the lyrics that I wrote up until up until then and where my style probably started to change. And, you know, I mean, I don't have kids, at least, you know, <laughs> none that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's so funny how many people like try to explain me when I make that joke. I'm like, oh, we think you would be aware of this. I'm like, 
it's sarcasm, it's, ladies. It's, it's, you can you can actually ferret out who should not be a friend of yours just by that. Well, like, they're, once they're, they start explaining it to you, you should be like off the friends list. Okay, next. Yeah. Well, there are several things that are, are just. I like to say just see how people will react. Like if people talk about uh, Jackass the movie, anyone, any one of those volumes. I, if anybody brings it up, I'm like, yes, because this gives me a chance to just go deadpan and just look them in the eye and say, honestly, the book was better. <laughs> I love that. I like it. I love that. But, I love that. but yeah, I mean, kids, you know, it's one of the reasons why I wrote um, The Wild Harmonic and while the sequel is also going to be in present tense, I know that present tense makes some readers teeth itch. You know, and, and a lot of writers, uh, it's not a favorite tense of a lot of people, and I, and I understand. Um, but because my character is a shapeshifter, the whole world um, uh, of, my, of my book is that you don't know who might be a shapeshifter, and it's based on the sort of thing that if you ask most people, if you could be any animal, what would you be? Most people can tell you immediately. Uh, there's always a few animals that people can identify with, and I think... I like animals better than I like most people. And animals think in present tense. Um, they, all, they always think in present tense. I mean, uh, some domesticated animals, of course, like dogs, will have trauma and things like that. But in the wild, a gazelle will narrowly miss the claws of a cheetah. And then once that cheetah is gone, the gazelle goes back to grazing. Um, a mouse isn't sitting around worried about a cat if the cat's not in the room. Um, and it's a way to think about you know it's and it's a handy thing to think about when we're processing trauma uh but but also like if a wolf is you know wandering around somewhere and, and he steps on a sharp piece of stone and cuts his paw he doesn't spend all going damn it i should not have i shouldn't have stepped on that you know he moves on you know or if a hawk uh dives for a rabbit and misses it doesn't sit around saying you know i should have been an owl instead you know there are a lot of things that human emotions that really get um that really stuff us up uh in a lot of ways and so one of the things that helped me sort of tap into a more animal mind is to write in present tense i and, think i uh, think it's I think, brilliant to write yeah. in present tense and not a lot of um authors can actually pull it off and i think that's why some authors get fajiggity about it because it's kind of like writing in first person Mm -hmm. Not a lot of authors actually pull off first person correctly. It's, well, it, it helps you keep your narrative, it helps you keep your story straight. It keeps you from head hopping. Uh, same with present tense. That outruled a lot of things, especially for my skippy ADHD brain, by keeping it present tense and first person. Um, but it also kind of kept me uh, connected to how an animal might think, because as soon as my character shifts to the werewolf, uh, that she is, um, you know, nothing has to change. Uh, that it's because there's a lot of the uh, of the human mind that's still retained because this person is not entirely a wolf. You know, instead of things being um, like people who almost like dissociative identity disorder, when people will have an episode and not remember anything, is a very profound and tragic uh, and uh, an astounding way of dissociating in order to protect the mind. That's how some people did it, like um, Hermann Hesse with Steppenwolf that created a whole mythos that way. I mean, 
the legend of werewolves predated Herman Hesse. Uh, but um, I wanted to shine a light on the fact that the most monstrous thing is that the werewolf is not half wolf, it's that it's half human. Uh, animals just go about their business. Uh, a wolf doesn't kill because it's angry or because it's jealous. It kills because it needs to eat. And then when it's done, it's done. Um, let Try saying that about humans. True. True. Well, I kind of prefer that humans don't, you know, kill people because they have to eat. But I mean, I prefer they don't do it at all. But like, mm -hmm. you know, that's the true. cannibalism We're, thing. You're not supposed to kill people. Um, no, it's it's kind of frowned upon, but it is. You know, it's you know I'm just saying if I were part of a Chilean soccer team and we crashed in the Andes, uh, you know I would shit happens. The last you know I would probably think think about oh, okay who is that person who said eat me right before we crashed? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, exactly. I'm uh, telling you, it's so the moment any survival situation kicks in, I'm firmly convinced Lord of the Flies applies. That's mm -hmm. just how it's got to go. Like, or, or Cannibal the Musical. Are you guys familiar with this? No. No. Oh, I'm so happy. If, if I never do any other good deed in my life, I, I feel good that, you know, that I, I'm, I, I don't particularly consider myself a nice person, but I would like to, to spread this message. It was the first thing that Trey Parker and Matt Stone did when they were fresh out of college uh, before South Park. Um, oh, wow. If you get the special edition DVD, if you have any contraption that still plays DVDs, there is a commentary. It's a drunken commentary. So they just get drunker and drunker and they talk about the movie and how they had a loan of like a quarter million dollars, like a million dollars is a low budget film. They had a loan of a quarter million and they got all their buddies from college to join in and some of the people you might recognize in some of their other films, like Basketball, uh, are in there. Um, but it's based on the true story of, of Albert Packard, uh, Alfred Packard. Here we go. Here comes yeah, the yeah. Alfred Here's Packard, that. who was the first person to be convicted of cannibalism in the United States. Um, and uh, I didn't realize how accurately they had recreated the scene, the courtroom scene, where he's he's convicted and, and uh, hauled off to the slammer uh, or how accurately, you know, the dress was, you know, the, the, he, he uh, looked like, you know, made himself look like Alfred Packer and said, no, this is, this is not how it happened. And then they make up their own story and it's done in the style of Oklahoma. Uh, oh my goodness. Yes. It, it's just, it is glorious and it's done on a quarter million dollar budget. And if you can get the DVD, it's worth it to, to watch the drunken commentary. I um, will. I'm going to check it out. I already know Chelsea's on the computer finding it. We're going to find it. Yeah, so, I am. I'm searching. I'm listening. I promise. But, but if I look off, we have yeah. to wrap up this episode. So Beth, tell people how to find you the right way, not the creepy way. Right. The right way. Uh, I will never tell them how to find me the creepy way. You know, that sometimes happens anyway. Uh, my website is bethpattersonmusic.com. Um, my Facebook music page handle is Bethodist, and you really have to fight Facebook about this. Like, did you mean Methodist? And it'll say, no, I meant Bethodist, damn it. So if they try Bethodist, this is my own joke that I'm trying to start my own religion. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to be worshipped. I just want the tax exemption. And my only rule is don't be douchebags to each other. Uh, so it's Bethodist. But if you try, you know, Bethodist, 
music or something Bethodist Beth Patterson music it'll take you to my music page Instagram is Bethodist manifesto um, <laughs> I love that you are so much fun I love well, I, having you on this show I was so glad when you guys asked me back um, of course it's of course. like I, I get to I get to drink wine and and talk about books and and swear yes all yes. the swears all the swears and okay. now that, I, that i found out that that the uh, teen angst is is going to be a when is it coming out it should be you're going to get an email about it it's on the production side which i don't know all the i just look pretty when it comes to saying things about the production and you look very side, pretty. So. And, and i'm not just saying that because i'm on my third glass of wine you know um, what they say but you know <laughs> So um, it will come out soon, though, and you, yes, and all the things, and you'll be able to promote it, but you have been fabulous. This has been Drinking With Authors. I have been your host, Erica Lance. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and of course, now that we've all gotten drunk, review us. We appreciate it thoroughly. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. We'll get you 10% off. This brother-owned, veteran-owned, used-to-be-illegal distillery. And because the grandfather did it when it was prohibition. And my co-host today has been the amazing C.R. Rice. Our guest has been the literally infamous Beth Patterson. And we will <laughs> see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tea Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.